We thank you for joining us as we delve into our multi-part series, Insights from Experience. Through this series, we welcome individuals currently married or single to come forward and share their stories as we discuss navigating the challenges and opportunities of singlehood. We discuss openly identity while dating, perspectives when life doesn't unfold according to plan, and calls to action for the broader community. Welcome. This is Efrat Sobolevsky from Why You Connects, excited to share another episode of Candidate, where we feature candid conversations about dating and marriage with experienced guests. Our talented host this evening is Anna Krauss. Anna is the director of NCSY's Shavet Glaubach Fellowship. She's also a master's degree student at the Wurzweiler School of Social Work and a volunteer for Why You Connects. She currently resides in Queens with her husband and family. This podcast is anonymously sponsored Le'ilui Nishmas Chanoch Chaim Ben Yaakov Hakon and by the generous support of the Slomo and Cindy Sylvian Foundation. Enjoy. My name is Anna Krauss, and it is a pleasure to serve as your guest host for today. Whether this is your first time tuning in or you are a returning audience member, we thank you for joining our thousands of listeners across the globe as we explore topics together that face our community in the world of dating and relationships. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined by Eliza Abrams Koenig, who's the Director of Student Leadership at Yeshiva University, where she leads an undergraduate program to develop emerging leaders for the Jewish future. She formerly served as Yeshiva University's Director of Alumni Engagement, Director of Student Life at Stern College for Women, and the Director of Jewish Service Learning, where she built the service learning curriculum and established student travel missions around the world. She's lectured on leadership, education, faith, prayer, and issues related to the contemporary Jewish family, dating, infertility, surrogacy, and family and synagogues, community centers, and schools. She also serves as a consultant on experimental education. Eliza holds a BA in Judaic Studies from Stern College and a Master's in Social Work from YU's Wurzweiler School of Social Work, and is now a doctoral candidate at Wurzweiler. Eliza and her family live in Riverdale, New York, where she volunteers with her synagogue and other nonprofit organizations. Thank you so much, Eliza, for joining us today and for sharing your story and perspective with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So today our conversation is going to focus on the journey towards getting married, getting married as an older single, identity while dating, and how to keep perspective through all of it when life doesn't unfold according to an initial plan. So to start off the conversation, Eliza, can you share with us just a little bit about your story? Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. My uh, story of being single, if you will, uh, I guess my journey through dating was about 10, 11 years. Um, I met my husband when I was 31. And the funny thing was, as I worked at Yeshiva University, I knew a lot, a lot of people and everyone assumed that I was dating everyone or being set up with all the guys or this and that. And it really wasn't true. Um, I would say I probably went on one to two setups a year. It was pretty sad, (laughs) if you will. But at the same time, I had a really rich um, social circle and life. I lived in Washington Heights. I had a great group of friends. I had great uh, activities that we all did as 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 a chevra, and it was just a really fun time in my life. While there was the part of not being married, I I made the most of that time in my life. Uh, so my husband and I actually met um, 
very briefly at a conference that I was speaking at and a friend introduced us, which what I thought was a social introduction, uh, sorry, not a social introduction, a professional introduction. And she had actually told him that she wanted to set us up. When we met for those three minutes, um, I thought that he said that he was a Hillel campus rabbi and assumed mistakenly that he was married. So I never thought that it was like a setup for marriage. Um, but he did tell me about a trip going to Poland for Jewish educators. And somehow he knew that I ran service missions for YU and he thought it would be interesting for me. And he literally handed me his phone. He wrote, write an email to the lady in charge, pretended to me, tell her you're great, you should go. And I was like, okay. I take his phone. I have no idea literally who this guy is. And I just write this email. I say goodbye to him. I head out. Um, the, I speak to this woman, I get accepted to this trip, uh, no problem. And, um, what's funny is the night before I left my roommate at the time said to me, who are you going on this trip with to Poland? Like you don't know anybody going. And I said, well, there's one guy from my elementary school who I haven't spoken to in about 15 years. And this married guy that I met who recruited me to the trip. So at least I like sort of know people. So on the first day of the trip, we were walking and as we were entering the I'll never forget the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the JCC of Warsaw. I could tell that the program was off schedule. And as somebody who professionally ran trips, it was like annoying for me. And I see that my now husband was talking in Polish to this tour guide. <laughs> I march up to him as I am want to do. And I said, could you help get this program back on schedule? Like, this is so annoying. And he said, like, just relax. It's fine. It'll be fine. I said, okay. And as we're walking in, I said, can I just ask you a personal question? He said, sure. I said, how come your wife didn't come on this trip? And he said, what wife? I said, I don't know. I'm sorry. I thought you were married because you're the Hillel rabbi. He's like, I'm not a Hillel rabbi. And I said, who are you? And he said, I'm the director of the Hillel, but I'm not the rabbi and I'm not married. We ended up sitting next to each other at dinner that night. By the end of the week, we were dating and we were engaged three months later. <laughs> um, but the, the lesson really about this is that we had actually quite a few people in common. We never met. But um, once I, you know, checked him out with one friend, he said, oh my gosh, why well, never think of this? Because we were in different hushkafic spheres. And had we not met more naturally, I'm pretty sure neither of us would have said yes to a date. He thought because I was wearing a black pencil skirt that I was Haredi and I just thought he was married. So he was, you know, not an option. Um, so that's how that ended up working out. But it, we talked about a lot at the beginning of our dating that if um, our two you know, why you connect, so you Sinai applications were sent to each other, we probably would have both said no, because I was non-Orthodox Mahmir and he was non-Orthodox liberal. And we just weren't saying yes to people on paper that sounded like that. Interesting. So if there is advice that you could give to people who are dating about thinking outside the box or, um, you know, what if they do know someone organically or starting a relationship as a friend and then it turns into something more, what is it that you would want to share? So I think I certainly had to be in a place emotionally and maturity-wise to be open to dating someone who was different than me hushkafically. And we're not so, so different, but we were definitely different from what we were each used to dating. So I actually want to first give advice to the people who set people up, because I think they are often the ones. They will say, oh, I have this Mahmir person. I only can set them up with Mahmir people. Or I have this liberal, liberal person. Oh, she is too from for him. So they're taking their preconceived notions and already nixing ideas before it even gets to the single people. And that singles have to stay in this box. And I think that 
it was really a lesson to me and to my peers that it's important to have an open mind and our values were in the same place. We realized we gave each other the chance to see we both cared a lot about community. We both cared a lot about being involved with chesed and leadership in our communities, et cetera. And that's your, which were such important things to us that sorting out our hashkafic differences actually fell into place much more easily than we thought that they would have. So I think it's an important thing for people to be open-minded and not to say, oh, well, he went to this yeshiva or she went to this place or, you know, that he identifies as machmir, I identify as liberal or I'm why you yeshivish and they're just why you write, right? These are, sim- are small nuances that can easily be sorted out, in my opinion and my experience, when people actually get to know each other. And, it, and in terms of the friend zone thing, if you will. So yes, my husband and I certainly clicked as friends in that first few days and then immediately knew that there was attraction between us and we were interested in dating each other. And I know that it's not comfortable for people to ask each other out in our community. There, It's not the norm necessarily for someone to just ask somebody out. It often is going through Shadchanim. But I feel, and I talk to people all the time about this when I set them up, When I ask somebody, what are you attracted to in a person? I don't mean looks. I mean, personality wise, who are your best friends? What are they like? What kind of personality traits are you attracted to? Because that is who you're ultimately going to click with is those kind of people. So when someone says to me, I'll, uh, you know, I'm, I've been friends with this person for so long. The only people you're hurting are yourselves. It's so important to move that relationship into a dating environment, because otherwise you're never going to know. And you're always going to be thinking, well, what if, what if, and what's the worst case scenario? So you date and you decide you can no longer be friends or you date and you get married. I mean, that would be the best case scenario. Right. And, and it's funny. I'll never forget. I was once talking to a friend who said to me, this is living in the Heights where we all did meals together. And he said, well, I don't want to go out with her because what if we break up? And then like, I can't go to her for Shabbos meals. And I said, I will make you a deli roll and a challenge. Just move on, go out with her. You know? And that was like, it was such a ridiculous thing to be so afraid. Oh, one less Shabbos meal, you know? And I understand the social dynamics and wanting to get those invitations, but it's so much better. If you're already connecting with somebody on a friendship level, there's a good chance you can move that to the next level because there's already a level of attraction there. Totally. Did you find that for yourself, you were always pretty open about looking past those sort of the names, the the boxes, or was this a journey for you over time? Did you become more open over time? I would say I definitely became more open over time and I grew and I realized that things that people check off don't necessarily mean anything. Also, the these boxes are limited, right? So I'll just use a silly example, right? TV or no TV. Let's be honest. First of all, everyone is watching on Netflix, okay? You might say you don't have a TV, but we all know you're watching on YouTube and Netflix, even if your phone doesn't have that device. Give me a break, okay? And I say it like it is, by the way, everyone. So if you want straight advice, call me. So I think those are decisions that you don't have to start a dating relationship off with. That's the kind of things that you discuss as a couple, you discuss when you're engaged, when you're married. Yes, if someone's like, I beshita eat treif. Okay, that's a major issue. And that's not something that someone is necessarily going to be flexible about. But a lot of these, these boxes make us think that we have to choose prematurely certain decisions for our lifetime, which we all know, even if we got set up and it was the exact same hashkafe, et cetera, we all grow as couples. We all grow as people. We look at our own parents or other relationships around us and people have changed over time. So I would say, yes, I think that I definitely grew and I, I, things maybe I had checked off initially, I changed as I got older. And I think also with a lot of women, 
we try, I, I can only speak for women, you know, to be as flexible as possible when dating because we want to go on dates and not be rejected. And I think that more often than not, women are being flexible with these boxes than men, especially as they get a little bit older. So along those lines of something taking, you know, a little bit longer maybe, or it being more of a journey, could you share with us what were some of the challenges that you faced during this time and what was really helpful to you in facing them? It's a great question. Um, One of the first challenges was that I had two younger sisters who got married before me. (laughs) And um, it wasn't so much that it was so difficult for me. It was very difficult on my mom emotionally that, you know, she felt this sense of guilt that her oldest daughter was not married and her younger two daughters were married on a communal level. It was challenging. You know, you get those pitiful, it's a shem by you. It'll happen soon, blah, blah, blah. And that's my shadchan voice. And, you know, I think it's hard for people just to be in the bigger community, not the singles community, but when you go home for Shabbos or for Yantif and people look at you differently in shul. And I know my guy friends have said they'll go to shul, you know, on whenever they're home for Yantif and they'll get Hagba or Glila. And it's like, that's what 11 year old boys get. And here, because this guy's single and he's not a talis, that's the kibu that you're giving him. And it's very challenging to feel you're a grown adult in every aspect of your life, aside for being single, right? You have a career, you have degrees, you have your own bank account. And yet when you go home, you're the single girl or the single boy with that language, right? She's a married woman. She's a single girl. Even if she's 40 years old, she's still considered a single girl. And I think using that kind of language also perpetuates the way we view single people. And I remember very clearly, as soon as I had a shaitel on my head, I was viewed differently even amongst my colleagues. Like all of a sudden now she was a grown woman. (laughs) It was like, I didn't change anything but my hair covering. And that was really challenging. I think that there are professional opportunities that people don't get because they're single or people certainly who are, let's say, in Chinuch, they might have gotten a job out of town, but they don't want to leave New York because they're afraid of dating and how that's going to impact them. So they stay and they keep whatever job it is that they have. And that's challenging. And I think that you know people on the outside don't know how, and by the outside, I mean everybody who is married, how fun and fulfilling life can be in on the West side or in, in Washington Heights where singles live. And this is sort of pre-COVID. I think things have changed a lot during COVID and after COVID, but we had a lot of fun together. And I think people thinking that we were choosing to be single and choosing to do things with our single friends as opposed to getting married, we weren't choosing that. We were just making the best of the time in our lives that we were in. So what were some of the things, and I would love to hear this both in terms of you yourself internally and also you know, from the community, Um, What were some things that you felt were most helpful, either, you know, that you yourself found strength or perspective within yourself or in your interactions with the greater community that were the most helpful? So as you can see, I always have a lot to say, and I found it very empowering to speak about being single. I, I did a bunch of panels. I did a lot of public speaking. And I remember saying to myself every time, this is either going to kill all of my shidduch prospects or enable me to meet my husband. <laughs> um, and I think that for me, taking ownership of being single, um, advocating for singles, I actually had created a advisory board of singles for Why You Connects at the time. And what was amazing was of the 10 or so of us, like seven of us got engaged within the first year and a half of creating the committee. So it was actually, we joked that it was really like a segula to be on this committee of singles. 
So definitely doing that, definitely surrounding myself with positive thinking peers who all were single, but all felt that we were making the best of our lives. I was never the kind of person who cried myself to sleep and thought, woe is me, I'm single. I just said, it's unfortunate, but it's going to happen. I believed Bemuna Shalema, I would meet somebody. I didn't know when it would be, but I knew it was going to happen. So just keeping a really positive mindset was important to me. And I'll just share a very cute vignette was that another friend of mine who he also, and so I was in a co-ed Hevra and it was a really lovely Heimish, you know, good group of people um, in the Heights. Uh, so my friend, he also had two younger sisters get married and he was very sick of everybody saying Emirza Shembayu. And we actually made an Emirza Shembayu Friday night dinner where everyone who was invited all had to have had at least one younger sibling get married first. And as the icebreaker to the game, you went around and shared your like survival story of when you were told your younger sibling was getting married. And then at the end of each person's story, the whole group would go, it was hilarious. So we just, we, in, we embraced it and made the most of it. And even I'll remember, I'll never forget for dessert, he ordered Chantilly cookies in the shape of the engagement ring, like everyone gets where it says, you know, your name and your husband's name, but instead it said Amir Tishem by you. Like we just had fun with it and we were like, this is not going to get us down. We're just going to enjoy this time. So that was really helpful. And and my career flourished. I got the opportunity to travel around the world. I I got my master's degree. I didn't, I didn't wait around. I just kept doing. And I would say that in comparison to my sisters who both got married at 21, they haven't seen the world that I have. Their their careers are great, but they haven't done as much as I have. And I wouldn't change, they wouldn't certainly change anything in their lives. Baruch Hashem, they both have four children and it's wonderful. You know, I'm really happy with what I accomplished in those 10 or so years. Do you feel like there's anything you gained um, at this point, you know, in terms of your development or who you are or your outlook on the world by having a longer dating process? I always joke, you know, they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Sometimes they feel like I've had enough and like, I'm good. I'm strong enough. Uh, I don't know that I need any more life lessons. I think my husband really was, you know, the right person for me because I was told often when I was dating, why don't you tone down who you are a little bit? Don't tell everybody how involved you are in the community or involved at YU. You know, people are intimidated by, by women like you. And if anything, my husband was mechazik, all of those things that I am so proud that I do. And he really supports me. And he he jokingly says now that behind every strong woman is a progressive husband. So, you know, like that, you know, like that enabled me to really grow and to continue doing what I want to do. And, and I think it was, I ha- again, I had to be at a place where I was open to dating somebody like my husband and that en- enabled me to continue growing and doing, I'm in a PhD program now. I'm in class two nights a week and I have work one night a week. My husband does bedtime, you know, when I'm not there and, and, you know, he, he loves it and he cherishes it. And, and he also was 31 when we got married. So he was also in a mature place where his career was, was steady. And he said, this is a priority to me. Our family now is our priority. It wasn't about, you know, I got to go back to work and things like that because he's the man. It was, we're really, we're equal partners in our relationship, which I think came with a lot of maturity. Is there any advice that you would want to share with listeners who are dating for longer than they would have initially imagined? It's a great question. I think, listen, we we know ourselves the best. And I think that's something to remind yourself of, right? People always want to give us advice. They want to say, change the way you dress, change your profile picture, lose weight, cut your hair, wear more makeup, don't wear so much makeup. 
I mean, I was once holding a picture of my, I was, I was holding my nephew in a picture on my profile and some Shadchanit said to me, people are going to think that you have a child. And I said, well, that means that they're illiterate because they can't read in my application, never married, no children. So don't set me up with them. You know what I mean? Like, don't make this that it's my mistake that I'm doing something wrong. So I think that that singles should feel empowered to to talk back and to say, no, you don't really know me or you don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. I was on that date. I know why I'm saying no to a second or a third date. I kind of think the same thing goes with parents. I think our parents don't know how to parent single children who are older. Our gen- that We're this first generation, basically, who's experiencing this. And our parents, thank God, they got married younger or it just wasn't the same. Even if they got married a little bit older, there was not the same pressures that exist in our community today. So they are experiencing this the same way we are and they feel tremendous guilt. And I think it's important to also be able to talk openly with your parents without fighting. And I think sometimes dating creates fighting with parents and children. And maybe it's also okay to just say to your parents, I love you. I'm going to update you when I have an update, but I need this space and I need your respect to trust me in this process. Right. Well, thank you so much, Aliza, for sharing a little bit about your journey and talking to us um, about your perspective. And thank you to our listeners for joining us in this very candid conversation on this episode of Why You Connect Candidates. So thank you. And until next time on Why You Connect Candidates. If you would like to share your insights from experience, please reach out to us at whyyouconnects at yu.edu. Thank you. Thank you to our gracious hosts and guests this evening. Please email us at whyyouconnects at yu.edu to suggest future dating and relationship building topics and guests for your enjoyment. Candidate at whyyouconnects.